One of the things that I think we really need to start talking about early in our medical journeys with our practitioners or our peers is that how medical equipment isn't always the last resort. Whether that is a wheelchair or a gait trainer or a trach or a G-tube, I feel like so many times we are told that hopefully you can avoid having to get that. But in, in most of our realities that we're living every single day, these pieces of equipment, this medical technology has been game changers and it has saved our children's lives. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about what brought us to make the decision to get the G-tube or get the trach. And let's take away that stigma that it's bad. It doesn't have to be the last resort. And with proper education, with a team of doctors who's willing to sit down and say, here, this is, we don't have to talk about this for your child, but I just want to show you what this trach is. I just want you to hold this G-tube in your hand and go, oh, it's just that. Today, you're going to meet Tia. Tia is a mom that I met in the NICU, and you get to hear about the first time we met and how horrible of a first impression I made. Tia is wonderful, and I'm so proud of her and her son. So welcome, Tia. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as the darker days and colder temperatures begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, help you learn and help you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. What On Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. Tia, welcome to When Autumn Comes. Ow, I'm so I'm excited. To be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming, and. I know you in real life. We met in the NICU (laughs) and our kids, we were in the NICU together with my littlest. I want to say you were one of the few people that I connected with while I was in with Benji. Uh, mm -hmm. I felt like I had already been there, done that. And I was like, I just got to, I got to keep going. (laughs) Right. I'm just, I'm just trying to get out of here. And I, I have to say, I remember meeting you the first time I met you. We were in front of Marnie's desk. That was popping. I, I think it was just in front of the pump rooms is where we were both always hanging out. But then you said something about a, a virus. And I was like, oh, God, I have to get away from this lady. Because what had happened was I think I didn't have any bags or... I didn't have any containers or something. And like, I had poked my head out and you were like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't have any containers. And you were like, oh, I have some. And you handed them to me. 
And you were like, you know, your son's here. And I said, yeah, he's in isolation. And you were like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I can't be around you. <laughs> you were like, oh, my God, I got to get away. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> But then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're I made a great first impression (laughs) is what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, my God. But I was just like, oh, God, my kid's that kid. (laughs) (laughs) That mom. That's my kid. Yeah. That's him. Okay. So, Tia, tell us a little bit about Hendrix. Hendrix is three. He just turned three in May, even though I swear it seems like he's about 65. He's such a... (laughs) He does. He reminds me of a little old man, but he's so funny. Um, he's three. He has a trait. He's had his trait for, we just had a year in February. He has a GJ tube. He is very funny. He's very outgoing. Um, he likes to bite. <laughs> we don't necessarily have a diagnosis for him. He just is who he, who he is. Uh, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. I could go on. I could go on forever talk, talking about my What's he into right now? Working my nerves. Into? He's really starting to exhibit like typical two-year-old, three-year-old behavior. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, he he has tantrums. But it's definitely like his way or the highway. I swear, I say no ten thousand times a day, and of course, he does not listen to me. He's really big into Motown magic. He loves Mickey Mouse. He loves Bluey. Um, Who doesn't love Bluey? Let's, let's pretty much. Real. I find myself sitting down watching Bluey. Like, girl, get well, up. We should do a four a.m. about Bluey. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Bluey. Um, he's obsessed with his sister. Let's talk about that. So you, Child. you have <laughs> an eighteen-year-old. Uh, she's twenty-one now. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Midlife I guess she ages just like our little ones do. So three years ago, I met you. Yep, that makes about sense. Hard, hard to believe, right? So you have a 21-year-old and a three-year-old. Yes. Talk about... How was the NICU for you starting all over and, and, you know, your pregnancy was typical, so you thought, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were no indications or signs that something was wrong or something was off, um... You know, I didn't gain a lot of weight, but ultimately I was already, you know, kind of overweight, according to my doctor. So they didn't want me to gain a lot of weight. I think he was like, we only want you to gain 10 pounds. And I kind of looked at him like, what? Like, okay, whose world Mm -hmm. are you living in? But very typical pregnancy, like no indication that anything was wrong. I think it was like I was around 30, 32 weeks when I went in and they were like, you know, we're going to do another, you know, your last ultrasound just because you haven't had one since I was about 20 weeks. And so they were like, we're going to do an ultrasound. And I remember going in the room and I was like, you know, okay, ultrasound, we know it's a boy, like no big thing. And I remember the lady was like, oh, he's, he's measuring small. Didn't surprise me at all. Cause I was like, well, we don't typically have big babies in my family. Like my daughter was only six pounds. I was five pounds. All of my brother, I think my one of my brothers was like six pounds. So, you know, I was like, small baby, no problem. Right. But she was right. like, uh, he's like four pounds. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, wait, what? And they said I was measuring three or four weeks behind. So that's when it was like, hmm, something's a little off. But still, it wasn't anything to where, you know, they were 
like prepare, you know, preparing me for the right. worst or, you know, telling me exactly right. what was going on. It was just that he was small and that right. was it. It wasn't until he was born that it was like, okay, there's a bit more going on than just him being a small baby. I ended up having to have a C-section. They took me early because they were like, he just wasn't gaining weight in utero. So they were like, there's no point in it, you remaining pregnant for like the next four to five weeks. Right. We'll just go ahead and, and do a C-section. And he was breech at that. So... We did the C-section and like I said, you know, he was born and I had him at Centera Lee, unfortunately. So they immediately carted him off to CHKD. Right. And because I had a C-section, I had to stay at Centera Lee <laughs> for like... While your baby went... For people who aren't familiar with this area, exactly. that's a solid 30-minute drive and exactly. to get from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, here I am here and he's there and I was out of it. I was kind of high. Like, I remember them. Of breaking. course, you just yeah. had a C-section. I, like, I remember, like, the picture from the pictures. I remember them wheeling him in and him being, like, in the little incubator. And I was like, oh, he's so cute. And he's so small. And they were explaining something. And, girl, I don't know what the hell they were saying. And so, because it was just like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, when I finally came to, it was like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What just happened? Where's my kid? (laughs) Well, and then it's like, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but in the NICU, it's like they're speaking their own language. You not only were just dealing with like aliens at a different hospital, but now you're you're in the NICU. And it's like, all of this stuff is going on. It's a different language. You didn't expect this. And you are trying to process like what the mm-hmm. heck is happening. Yeah. How I, many days was it before you could get over to the other hospital? It was like three days, I think. Mm. It was like yeah. three days. So, you know, I'd been calling around the clock trying to figure out what was going on. And then of course his dad was running between, you know, Centera Lee and CHKD and Centera Lee and CHKD. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like, a lot to put on a dad too yeah exactly <laughs> and his dad is more emotional than I am so trying to get him to explain all the things and not break down at the same time I was just like dude just get me out of here mm-hmm. so I can figure out what's going on mm-hmm. but my mom was also here and so that was helpful but at the same time it was a situation because I hadn't gotten there like yeah. She wasn't on the list to go. You know what I'm saying? So it was just, uh, it was chaos. It was such a cluster. Yeah. 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 Um, so how long was he in the NICU? Seven months. Yeah. He was born in May. We went home in December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that was interesting. I don't know. Some people like, I, I don't think the NICU is a pleasant experience, but um you know, their experiences were, for the most part, you know, okay. I don't even know if okay is the right word. But, you know, it wasn't like this flirt for me, child. <laughs> yeah, I think, too, there's a difference between, for lack of a better word, feed and growers mm-hmm. and the medically complex yeah. babies. And you and I were definitely in the medically complex field. Mm-hmm. And... For me, it was always like, well, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think you face the same with Hendrix of, well, we don't really know what's going on right now. And 
I imagine still because there's no official diagnosis. He's just him. Yeah, pretty much. Seven months of uncertainty and we don't really know. And then Hendrix was Hendrix and did all his things. (laughs) Did he? Um, I think he had been there for two weeks. And that's when he first got a rhino. (laughs) Uh. And I was like, excuse me? And they're like, yeah, he has, you know, it's very common. And I'm like, but how did my kid? (laughs) Because I'm looking in this pod and I'm like, everybody else's kid is fine. Like, how does my kid, you know, Mm -hmm. get sick? And so that's what started our journey with rhino and rsv and it like came from out of nowhere because i was like i'm not sick because dad's not sick my mom isn't sick and we were literally the only three people that were there continuously and so i'm just like i'm confused as to how he got sick and it was just from there it was like every couple of months rhino rsv Mm -hmm. rhino rsv rhino rsv like to the point i think i became public enemy number one <laughs> to make you <laughs> because I was just like I don't understand this. Something somewhere has to be going on as to why my mm-hmm. kid keeps getting sick to the point I met with the director of infectious disease. Like mm-hmm. she knew me by first name. Like patient advocacy knew me by first name because I was just like I'm confused. This is baffling to me. Let's take a minute here to talk to any moms who are going through hospital life right now. Mm-hmm. It is completely okay. Oh, yeah. ask for patient advocacy mm-hmm. and for new moms who are just getting into this it's terrifying oh yeah but it's okay to say time out i need to talk to somebody a little bit higher i need to talk to somebody who can maybe bring some people together and we can figure something out with this yeah it had definitely gotten pretty bad at the NICU for me some people had developed great relationships with the nurses there. I think majority of the nurses that <laughs> Hendrix had probably could not stand me because I remember he was placed in isolation, but he was placed in isolation with another kid. And so Which it was like this. really makes sense. Yeah, I was like, this is an isolation. <laughs> yeah. and do you think any part of all of the viruses early on had something to do with his lung development and later needing a trach? Or did he always have that need and it was pushed? I don't know because I don't. And the reason I say I don't know is because he got sick so early on. Mm-hmm. And it was so crazy. My mom says it to this day. My mom was like, it was that one nurse that started it. And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? But I clearly remember the nurse that he had when we first got admitted kept sneezing. Mm. And she was like, I promise I don't have a cold. It's allergies. But then the next week she was out for the entire week and he miraculously got sick. And so I just don't know. Like, I don't know if, you know, that kind of set in and that just, you know, butterflied into. into Or if he really is just severely immunocompromised. Exactly. It has to be difficult. Again, going back to not having a diagnosis, like. We know my children have that label of they will be severely Mm -hmm. immunocompromised. But in your case, it's kind of like, well, he appears to be continuing to get sick. Mm -hmm. So mm. I actually did some testing on his immune system and it was fine. Hmm. 
And so <laughs> that's why I said <laughs> Hendrix being Hendrix. <laughs> Cause I was expecting like, yes, we're going to get some answers. It's going to come back and be like, you know, something X, Y, Z is missing. And so that's why he can't fight this off. Yeah, no, he mm-hmm. called me. He was like, yeah, that didn't give us anything. His immune system's fine. And I was just like, of course. Like, of course. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Of I course. mean, thank you, though. But, you know, it didn't give us any an- any answers into why. How did that make you feel? I mean, I was fine with it. At this point with Hendrix, it's kind of not having, not having a diagnosis for him has its pros and cons. Um, for me, the con kind of is, is that I never know what's next or kind of what to plan for what exactly like when he turns five this is going to happen or that situation yeah but at the same time i value that because my kid can't be put into a box you can't say that by the time he's five he's not going to be walking or you can't say that when he's eight like this is going to happen we just don't know and so you know it's kind of a i don't know it it kind of a blessing but at the same time like it drives me bonkers because everybody who knows me knows that I'm very very (laughs) big on I need to know like I need to know I need to I I need to know the why to everything and with him I don't get that at all it's just like here I am and so that that's been a big lesson for me is just accepting what is and that's exactly what I've had to do with him so speaking of accepting what is, you and I met in the NICU mm-hmm. with Benji and Hendrix. And yeah. then we hung out in the PICU <laughs> a year or so later with Lorelai and Hendrix. Exactly. And every time, every time I was leaving or going, like we were crossing mm-hmm. paths. I think there yep. was only one time that we were together in the PICU for an extended yes. amount of time. But one of us was going in while the other was going out. Literally. Um but I remember there was this period of time where they kept telling you to consider a trach. And well, yeah. And the thing is, is that when he was in the NICU, they tried to get me to trach him. And I was just like, no. I was like, we're, we're, I was like, no. I was like, it's not happening. And at one point they told, you know, they kind of told us, well, he's not going to be able to go home until you get a trach. And I was just like, that's just not ever happening. And thankfully, we were able to, you know, get past that. And he didn't ultimately need it. But Lord have mercy, looking back on it, I sometimes I think that's the one thing that I really beat myself up about is that I wish if I could go back and do that over again, I would have did it. And I what got was it. your reservation? Because I had yeah. the same like I was the one who fought tooth and nail against quote unquote, just a G tube. And I was like, mm-hmm. my kid's not getting this. We're not doing this. My kid's going to yeah. be different. We're going to be better. We're going to da, 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 da. And that's what saved their lives for so long. What was the heartache for you with why you didn't? Um, I think the heartache for me, number one, was just miseducation. Not exactly knowing the full extent of what a trait meant. Cause to me, like, most kids you see in the NICU that have a trach, they're hooked up to a machine 24 mm-hmm. seven. And so for me, I was like, Lord, like for him to be hooked up to this machine 24 seven, and then he had a GJ. So it was like hooked up to that at the time, 24 hours. It was like, what kind yeah. of, you know, like what kind of life are we about to have? Because my daughter at the time was 18, very, had her young, but very normal pregnancy, very normal kid. 
And so it was just like... And at that point, 18, so pretty yeah. independent. Yeah. And you're like... Exactly. Yeah. And I had gotten to the point where, you know, my kid wasn't attached to my hip, so I could kind of move around freely. And so it was just like, I'm not going to be able to do anything, like, if my kid is hooked to machines 24-7. And so I think that was kind of the hesitancy for me. And then on top of that, like, I've never been big on people trying to push anything on me. Um, (laughs) Like, don't try and force me into anything. And quite personally, I feel with the NICU, that's what it felt like. It felt like for me, they were like, well, if you don't do this, then he's not going home. And I was like, challenge accepted. Um, (laughs) How dare you tell me that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, that this is. Gosh, I see where Hendrix gets it from. (laughs) Between me and his dad, he was doomed from the start. Um, (laughs) But that was like my hesitancy then. And even after the first maybe two visits to the PICU, I think somebody might have brought it up. But I try really hard to not think back because I'm like, here we are now and this is what we're dealing right. with, but, but it is what it is. But in some sense, I feel like the NICU dropped the ball with my kid. And the only reason I say that is because Hendrix was not followed by pulmonology until our first trip to the PICU. Mm. Never. And this is the kid who had all the infections that all the viruses and all the viruses, all the breathing issues, all the things. And Mm -hmm. we never saw pulmonology until I forgot who we saw. And they were like, we really think he should see a pulmonologist. And I was like, huh? Oh, okay. But it was like, by then he was a year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he was a year by then. We had never been to one before. And again, it goes back to you don't know what you don't know. As a mom, you had a typical pregnancy Mm -hmm. before. You have a healthy 18-year-old at the time, and you don't know what you don't know. No, exactly. I had no clue. And so that's ushered in Dr. Epstein. And, you know, she was. that's when I realized, okay, wait. The way that my kid breathed was not normal. And so I think after meeting her is when the trach talk became a little bit more real. Um, but Was still, it because she was educating you more on it? I would say so. I would say so. But also, I think I was starting to see how much he was struggling to breathe. And like I said, all of 2021 was spent at CHKD. I don't think there was a month that we were not either inpatient or in the PICU. Literally. It was like month after month after month after month after month. Because he kept catching viruses. Yep. He kept catching viruses. He kept getting sick. And so it was like we would be in PICU. You know, we would go to just the regular, just to the floor. And then it became from the floor straight to PICU because he would always have to be put on high flow. And so if a kid was on high flow, they ultimately had to be in the PICU. And it was just that last round. I think it was like Christmas. Yeah, Christmas of 2020. 2020. Yeah, Yeah. he got pneumonia. Yeah. And high flow was not working. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, we're going to try the BiPAP machine. Mm. He hated it because he didn't like the mask on his face. So that wasn't working. And so they were like, they were going to intubate. And I was like, excuse me? Because he had never been intubated before. Mm -hmm. Even when he was in the NICU, he was never intubated. So 
I was like, we're doing what? And so, you know, they had to intubate him. And then with intubating him, they had to sedate him. So he was heavily, heavily sedated. But even (laughs) Hendrix being Hendrix, they couldn't even keep him sedated. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All the meds they had him on, he's still trying to sit up and roll and do all the things. And it was just like, this isn't working. And so I remember we had gotten to a point where they wanted to extubate him. And so I was so excited. So I was like, yes, let's do it. They did it. He did fine for like five hours. Did great. And he started to crash. And I was like, Jesus, what is going on? And I never forget. They were like, we have two choices. We can intubate him again, or we can try the buy. And I was like, no, let's try the BiPAP machine first tried the BiPAP machine and it was just not working. And so I was like, okay, fine, let's re-intubate him. And that's when the doctors were like, we really need to consider a trach. And I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. And so I remember, I think I called his dad and like, I just had a breakdown over the phone and he was at work and he's like, I'm on my way up there. And we were sitting in his room and I never forget Dr. Epstein came in and she was like, I really want to sit down and talk to you guys about a trait. And she was like, not about traking him or anything like that. She was like, just, just educate what, yeah, it is. what it is. And so we had that conversation. And then from there, she was like, what are your thoughts? And she was like, I honestly feel this is the best thing for him. And she was like, I never forget. This is like the one thing I remember so clearly. She was like, I think we're to the point we have two choices. She was like, we either move forward with a trach or we take him off of the machine and we just see what happens and go from there. And me and his dad <laughs> looked at each other and she was like, I'm under the impression you just don't want to do that. And we were both like, heck no. <laughs> you know, like, what do you yeah. mean? Like, how dare you? And she's like, no, please don't. She was like, I'm sorry if I offended you. She was like, but you know, I just wanted to be clear. And we were like, oh no. Like if we have to, if a trait is the only way to like, you know, then that's what we have to do. Right. But it sounds like no one explained to you prior that that was something that would keep him alive, not just something uh-uh. that would. No, yeah, not at all. It was never a situation where someone had really sat down and like walked us through. This is what yeah. a trait does and all this kind of stuff. And it was a Saturday. She was off work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she had scheduled to come in to actually sit and meet with us and talk to us about it. And so that's how we got to the decision. And honestly, it was the best thing ever for him. That's why I said, if I could, knowing what I know now, if I could have gone back and did it when he was in the NICU, I definitely would have. Hendrix, when he got his trach, he was cuffed. And they were trying to tell me that he would have to remain cuffed just because of his secretions and everything. Girl, he was cuffed for like a week. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, we're gonna have to take the cuff out because like he's screaming and yelling and most kids aren't you know if he's screaming and yelling over the cuff like there's no need for the cuff right um so they took the cuff out and then it was a situation where they thought he would be ventilator dependent yeah no he literally is only on his vent at night when he sleeps Mm -hmm. and quite honestly i think we've probably gotten to the point now where he really doesn't need that but um, at our last appointment six months ago with Dr. Epstein, she was like, we can start to wean him. And I was like, no, 
<laughs> She's like, wait, is this the same mom I talked to yeah. a year ago? <laughs> exactly. She was like, we can start the win. And I said, uh-uh. Because at that point, he had only had his trach for six months. So I was like, nope, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's at mm-hmm. night. I'm fine. We went down on his settings some. And I was like, that's good. We'll reevaluate at our next appointment. So at our next appointment, like I'll probably talk to her about uh, possible weaning him or whatever is next. As someone who has watched you with Hendrix through this whole last three years, first of all, I have to say I'm incredibly proud of you. And I think that I also have to add that you were one of the moms that was in the medical mom squad Mm -hmm. that we kind of coached and all of that. So I was there with you from the get go. And I've watched you, but I've also been able to watch Hendrix and he's thriving. Yeah, he really is. This kid is in physical therapy in a gait trainer screaming at everybody because he hates (laughs) it so much. And he's thriving. And it's because of his trait. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But if it hadn't been for that trait, you know, exactly. you were in the hospital every month. Mm-hmm. Has he been able to manage viruses at home now because of the trach? Mm-hmm. His sister got sick. It was like last November. And I remember being like. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't see your face. But, <laughs> but I had like a mini panic attack because I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, God. oh, God. So let me pack his bag. Let me pack my bag. Mm-hmm. Like, let me get my stuff in a row because we're probably going to have to go, you know, <laughs> yep. into the PICU for a week. And I was preparing myself for what? Because by then he got his trach in February and it was November. That's the longest mm-hmm. stint we had yeah. ever had, like not being in the hospital with him being born. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was just like, oh God, like it was traumatizing. Like, you know, we're back here and I never forget. He got sick. I called Dr. Epstein and I was like, okay, my daughter has a cold. Hendrix has clearly caught it. And I said, can we go over his at home plan? Because we have an at home plan that we kind of try first before taking him into the ER. And so she was like, you know, you're going to do his breathing treatments every four hours, his chest PT every six hours. Like, Yeah. The whole caboodle. And I think he, we have oxygen here at home. So I hooked the oxygen up to his vent. He was on his vent like 24 hours, you know, for like the whole day. Mm-hmm. We did Motrin and all the things that we all did. All the and, things. Yeah. yeah. And in two days, he was back to his normal self. And I was just like, what? <laughs> Pardon my language, but oh shit, I did it. <laughs> like, wait, what? Like, are you serious? And I remember when we went to see her, she was like, I remember he got sick. Like, what happened? I was like, nothing. But <laughs> we did we did his emergency treatment. And two days later, he was, you know, back to his. Which is so, so different from where mm-hmm. you were a yeah. year prior. Yeah. And even still, I got sick. I've gotten sick since then. His sister got sick. And every time we get sick, me and her look at each other like. And then we kind of look at him like. And then Hendrix is the type of kid, he doesn't understand that mommy's sick and so I can't hold you because he's mm-hmm. got, he's picked up this thing now that he'll, he likes to, he'll, <laughs> he'll put oh, his he arms. he raises his arms oh, to, yeah. yeah. He, he done learned uh-huh. like, pick me up. So he'll put his arms out like, you know, okay, I need you to pick me up. And it's like, buddy, I can't pick you up. He'll do this grimace thing. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. And I feel so bad, but it's like, I can't get you sick. 
you well, have that comfort now of knowing that you can handle it at home if you have exactly, to. And that you're not exactly. destined for the pick you every other month. Exactly. If you were talking to, I would say, a young Tia, but let's say, I don't know, we'll make up a name. Let's say her name is Sally, who is sitting in the place you were a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. What would you tell her about considering equipment or considering everything that you've been through? Um, She's struggling with the idea of a trach. I think my biggest thing is you have to think about where your child is currently in their journey and where you want them to be. Like I said, it really, really saddens me when I go back and look at videos of him when he was a baby and how hard he really was was struggling. Yeah, he was working to breathe. It's just all nasal, like, you know what I'm saying? To me, that was foreign to me because I was around him every day. And so I, I don't think I picked up on that. But I feel like you have to separate yourself from thinking like typical kid and all that kind of stuff, which I think I did a lot because I was not prepared for my child to have medical issues. I went into this thinking he was going to be a typical child. So now having to jump into this world that I'm very unfamiliar with, I think I probably should have read up more about it. Definitely ask more questions. If someone is being faced with that right now, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, like it in your really, case, it has it really been is not. so good. But yeah. yeah, it really isn't the end of the world. And I think that's the thing. I think that when we think of medical devices or medical equipment with kids, it's like, dang, what quality of life are they going to have? Well, they're going to have the quality of life that you provide for them. Having a trach does not mean you can't take your kid to the park. Like having a feeding tube does not mean your kid can't sit with you guys at family dinners. The only limitations they'll have are the limitations that you put on them. And that's and you don't been, know that until you're yeah, in it or until you, you see don't. it. And I think <laughs> you and I are a lot alike because we weren't exposed to mm-hmm. medical complexities prior to our children. And I have said it on this podcast before, but I vividly remember we were at a mito conference and Laurel, I was a baby. I was wearing her, wearing her pump, doing the whole thing. And I was watching this family sit at the table next to us and the son was licking bread. And the mom must have been like watching me watch her son. And I was like, did he just lick the bread? And she goes, yeah, he has a feeding tube just like your daughter, but he can't eat. So he licks the bread. And it was such a humbling moment to me to see mm-hmm. this family doing their thing. Yeah. And he was completely okay, like doing his yeah. Game Boy or I don't know what they're called these days. He was playing his little video game and licking bread while the family ate dinner. Yeah, and it that was, was just simple and normal for him. Mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly how it is with Hendrix. Now, you know, looking back on it, I think somebody asked me not too long ago, well, how long is he going to have that? How long is he going to have to have his trach? And I was just like, yeah. I don't know. know. (laughs) Like, I don't know. At this point, quite frankly, and I think I told his dad this, me and somebody was talking, and I was like, I'd much rather have the trach than the GJ tube. (laughs) (laughs) That thing works my nerves. The trach. (laughs) I'll take 10 trachs over a GJ. (laughs) 
Um, Which you would not have been saying two years no. ago. You were not saying two years ago. I would not, which I would not have picked that, like you said, two years ago. But but now he doesn't bother it or he's not one of those kids. It's just that, part of his life. Yeah. Yeah. But that GJ, Lord have mercy. If I could throw that one out the window, that's the one I would pick. But his streak has been a game changer for him. You know, I was terrified when we were in the TICU, like when we were doing training and all that kind of stuff. I was like, how in the heck am I going to do this when I come home? My daughter even went through the training. So she knows how to take care of his streak and everything like that. But those first couple of weeks home, I was like, like, what am I doing You know, now? Yeah, yeah, terrified now child I could do a trait change on my lap and he's like so immune to it now he doesn't pay us any attention when we do it now but terrified like really Mm -hmm. really terrified because it was just one more thing that you know my child was going to be dependent upon to possibly live and I think that's probably that was probably like the hardest thing to come to terms with because it was just like you know what next yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's I think it's just how our stories go that embracing this chaos and unknown and it's not easy I'm a lot like you I am a planner through and through and there are so many plot twists that come with these medically complex kids and Mm -hmm. yeah like I I, Hendrix, Hendrix was due June 6th my daughter was graduating from high school June 18th Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course both of my kids have birthdays in may so Nevaeh's birthday is may 8th and hendrix is may 21st i had my c-section may 21st her prom was a week and a half later <laughs> 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 so i was like you really did it this time tia yeah <laughs> tia well we wrap up with one question that we okay. ask every guest on this show. Mm-hmm. What gives you hope? Mm. What gives me hope? Um, I'd probably say my son or my kids in general. Um, I think that this journey for me was probably chosen specifically for me because, like I said, I had my daughter at 18, so... You know, all I've ever known um, or the one constant thing that I've ever known is to be a mom. So Nevaeh was about to be 18 and out of the house and doing her own thing. And I was, you know, low key panicking like, oh, God, like, you know, what am I going to do? Because all I had identified as was her mom from the time I was 18. And so then comes Hendrix with all the things And God was like, you know, psych, (laughs) here you go. You know, you wanted, (laughs) you wanted motherhood. You were worried you wouldn't have anything to do. Exactly. (laughs) Was definitely terrified. But like just my son in the last year, just the things that he's done has been amazing. He went from just being able to lay on his back to sitting up on it by itself. And to me, that's mind boggling. Because yeah. yep. this was a kid whose tone was like, 
ridiculously mm-hmm. low. And now he's rolling and flipping himself over with no issue. He's sitting up on his own, like to the point, like I'll leave the living room and he's laying down and I'll come back and he's sitting up and it kind of throws me because I'm just like, <laughs> like whoa, <laughs> like, how did you do that? <laughs> it really does shock me every time he does it. But that's the epitome of hope to me because regardless of what doctors and everything say that he may not do, like, nah, leave it to Hendrix. He's gone. He's going to figure it out. And he's I definitely... know where he gets it from. <laughs> I know where he gets it from. Yeah. So I would definitely say my kids. Thank you for being here and for sharing your family and your story with yes. us. Yes, indeed. It was fun. So there you have it, guys. Thank you, Tia, for being here and for sharing your story with us and for being completely open about how you felt when it came to your kid, you know, having the trach and the emotions and everything that you went through as you navigated that part of that journey. Please don't forget to join us in the When Autumn Comes Society on Facebook. It is a private group for medical mamas, medical dadas, medical caregivers, our friends, our family, our nurses, our doctors. It's a place for all of us to come together and feel community. Also, I just need to add that When Autumn Comes is a production of the Apricity Hope Project. Ah, It makes me so excited to say that. This is a nonprofit, and we aim to love on families of medically complex kiddos. So please check out our project and our upcoming events at www.apricityhope.org.